Welcome to the Emerging Women Podcast, where we hear from brilliant women leaders creating big change in the world. I'm Chantal Pirat, your host, and today's guest has such a cool perspective on leadership and authenticity. Jackie Holder is an executive and leadership coach who helps high-level business people access parts of themselves that live below the surface through journaling and writing, so they have an increased access to their own resilience, visioning, restorative care, and other strengths. As the author of 49 Ways to Write Yourself Well, Jackie has many practices to share. Does journaling ever feel like homework to you? Jackie teaches us some ways to entice your muse to come play instead of giving her more boxes to check. She'll share snapshots from her own multifaceted multimedia journaling practice for inspiration. And we'll talk about the special power of trees that help us drop into something deeper with ourselves and each other. As Jackie will tell you, trees and writing has literally saved her life. This episode is all about expression and connection. It's the mainstay of the Emerging Women ethos, so let's get to it. Welcome to Healing Through Writing with Jackie Holder. Hello, welcome Jackie Holder from the UK. Hi, Chantel. It's really great to be here and talking to you and the wonderful community that you've created globally. I know. I know. It's just getting bigger and bigger. It's so wonderful. And it feels like ages ago that you were with us at Emerging Women Live. And that was a fantastic experience. I was so appreciative of being immersed in the wonderfulness of Emerging Women Live, which is just going from strength to strength. I can't recommend how just powerful and restorative that whole um, conference is. It really is a, a, a gift to women and our growth and our healing and our transformation. Oh, yes, I know. I know. I just I feel like, God, should we be doing this four times a year? Um, but <laughs> it's like, I, feel like amazing. I, I know. Well, OK, so where are you right now? I know you you're normally in London, but you're out like give our global listeners a sense of where we're reaching you. Oh, that's lovely. I'm actually outside of London, about two and a half hours away out of London in a city called Leeds. I've come up here today because I work as a corporate coach alongside my writing and alongside speaking and doing lots of other creative projects. But today I came up for a piece of work around a new program and had to do an assessment center and an interview. So it's been quite a quite a stretching day, if I could say that, but in Aww. a good way, because it's about like stepping outside of your comfort zone. And I guess um, life is very much like that, isn't it? It's like we go through different seasons and we have different experiences that are either keep us quite close inside our comfort zone, or actually allow us to really stretch those edges. And I guess that's really the the core of what emerging women is around is around you know stretching beyond that comfort zone into that growing space and that's what I've been immersed in a bit today it's it's been really good yes we definitely have to push against edges in order to live the truth of who we are for sure 
I'm feeling that too. And it's interesting that you're also doing corporate work because it just gives me hope for the world that, you know, writing and, you know, the work that you do is in demand in those environments. Well, let me put it a bit in context. So my my coaching work is really interesting. So I do a lot of one-to-one um, coaching with senior leaders, directors mm-hmm. in a whole range of organizations, but particularly here in the UK in what we call our NHS, our National Health Service, uh-huh. which obviously has got a worldwide reputation, but it has obviously been under huge attacks over the last few years with the different governments and all oh, the yeah. kind of funding cuts. Mm-hmm. So it's been a huge thing, but I work I work a lot in that sector. And what's great about it, in terms of my work with senior leaders, I get to introduce the work around reflective writing, reflective practice. If you can imagine, most people really, most individuals in demanding sectors like the NHS, they actually feel really pushed to really um, step into a place of being reflective, even though that is often um, something that's talked about in the sector. It's not something that people get to do a lot. So in my one-to-one work, I get to open up the door to to that. So I introduce through the coaching Mm -hmm. the, uh, the practices of reflecting in writing, using writing, and also using journaling. And it's amazing the kind of impact that that has for men and women alike. Mm -hmm. So I will share different exercises and practices relevant to things like, you know, resilience, visioning, restorative care, well-being, um, strength, you know, building strengths, and really using writing as another voice, a bit like a third space. Because so many of us, we kind of operate on... um, autopilot or we can really get stuck with not really thinking deeply this idea of deep thought Mm. and I'm very keen as a coach to think about how can people access those parts of themselves that kind of lie or live underneath the surface or beneath the surface how can we bring that into the space where you and I are in relationship with each other in in a conversation I love this idea of a third space. Is that what you're talking about? A third space, meaning what are the two spaces? There's the space in our head, so we're just thinking. Yeah. And then there's Mm -hmm. the space where we're, is that what you're thinking? Tell me more. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really connecting it in the way that you're describing it. So that, that the head space often is not connected it it doesn't have like a 360 degree angle Mm -hmm. on what we're experiencing we we look but we don't really see we hear but we don't really hear and most of the time we're living you know that have you heard that say mr duffy mr duffy lived a distance from his body. I think it's a um, it's a quote from a. I can't remember which lit um, fiction book it's from, but it's almost like we're in our bodies, but we're not living in our bodies. Yes. So therefore, it's like how can we come back? How we can be? How can one become more embodied? So that headspace occupies that kind of space, and then often in relationship with other people. We have a familiar way of being. We have an automatic way of being. 
which doesn't always connect us to what we're really sensing, what we're really feeling, that kind of inner knowing, which we know is a much more fertile and rich place to be in conversation with ourselves, with other people, in relationship with self and in relationship with other people. So this third space is offering a different kind of connection. And that's where I feel that writing, and certainly for me, I've been writing a journal for over 30 years, and I can honestly say, Chantel, that the practice of journal writing saved my life. Oh, I know. I I love your story. Please, and I just want to, you know, talk about this book that you have, 49 Ways to Write Yourself Well. I just find that so intriguing. And so I guess, you know, this is a good segue. Tell us how writing made you well and what was the life circumstance that brought you to journaling? Yeah, well, um, it was it was a bit of a journey, but I, I think it really started in the roots of my childhood. So I grew up in, my parents were, came over from the Caribbean in the 19, early 1960s on the, on the back of a huge wave, a huge migration from the Caribbean to what was the promise of hope and new life um, in the United Kingdom. Obviously, back then, Barbados was part of the British, um, were, were considered British subjects. So there was a, this real um, migration to pr- new promise. And in fact, what they walked into was huge bastions of prejudice, racism, Mm -hmm. discrimination, huge amounts that you can imagine people's life stories changed. And I was a 60s um, baby. So I had older siblings that were born in the UK, but I was the first um, sibling born in, um, sorry, I had older siblings born in the Caribbean. And I was the first sibling born in the UK. And I guess, we, you know, like, you know, lots of immigrant families, we had our ups and downs. I, you know, my parents did really well. My dad was a carpenter. My mum really raised us for most of our younger years. We were considered, we were very much working class, um, a working class family. But because of the real challenge with housing, my family had to get a house. They had to buy a house. And Back then, Caribbean people would pull together and do something they called partner, where they would each put in a certain amount of money each week so that by the end of the month, someone could take out of the pot a bulk of money and put that down as a mortgage. And that's what my parents... Love that. Wonderful. Yeah. And that's what my parents did. That's how we got our house that was the family house for 40 years. Um, it was a five bedroom house. It could house all of us comfortably as children, but it had its challenges. My mum had a nervous breakdown in Mm -hmm. 1969. Mm -hmm. She was pregnant with my youngest twin sisters. And as a result of that, I experienced a, 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 a major trauma, um, in my life that really had a huge impact on my seven year old self. And I guess it was uh, a result of that, that I knew that I had a, uh, it's almost like I carried a ball of pain and a ball of shame inside of me. But I was also a very gutsy, effervescent, passionate child who loved to learn, who was inquisitive. So it's almost like I lived that duality. Mm-hmm. And um, I think by the time I, uh, I went through primary school, I had some 
fabulous teachers, um, particularly at primary school, I had a teacher called Mrs. Hines, who was my um, teacher for about three years. And she must have seen something in me because she encouraged me um, in my English. She encouraged me with my art. Um, my best friend told me years later that she had such strong memories of me writing poems at school. And um, my teacher saying, my, you know, this is amazing. And the rest of the class like looking at me like I was a bit of a freak, like how comes you can write such good poems and the rest of us are really finding it hard to mm -hmm. articulate ourselves. And I guess I had a voice. I had a voice. There were things that I wanted to express. There were things that I wanted to say. And you know that way sometimes in writing, if we take our way, if we take ourselves away from writing directly the narrative about a felt experience, sometimes a poem can express it far more eloquently, far more succinctly. We probably have more freedom to express ourselves without fear of what writing about the direct experience might bring up in us emotionally. And, I, you know, I guess that as a, a eight, nine-year-old um, at primary school, it was a safer way for me to really express some, maybe some very difficult emotions that I was going through at the time. So did you at that point stay with it the whole time? Or, you know, when did you finally figure out, oh, okay, like heal the space of healing and writing. You know, it's one thing to write poetry, but you're very explicit in some of the work you do. Like you said, you're in the health, you're in wellness. And I don't normally link those two. Well, that's very interesting because I think the pivotal point for me came when I, um, I'd gone to university, I'd done a degree in government politics, and anyone that knows me would know, hold on a minute, the two of those don't really meet very well. Uh, yeah. I'm a creative, I'm emotional, I'm, you know, that, that, it, that wasn't the right place for me, but nonetheless, I just wanted to get out of London, I went straight from school into college into university, and that was a, an interesting experience, and by the time I came out, I'd gone on this residential um, to do with counselling and therapy mm -hmm. because I was working as a youth worker and I was working with a lot of young people who were presenting issues that, to be honest, Chantel, I was like sitting and listening to them. I was facilitating groups. And I was thinking, actually, I need to be in a group. Actually, I need to be speaking about these things. So I was getting mirrored back to me mm -hmm. um, aspects of myself that I needed to give attention to. Mm -hmm. So what happened was um, I went off on this retreat this weekend and something in me broke open. Um, it's a bit like Elizabeth Lesser's book, Broken Open, which is a fantastic book about really returning to self mm -hmm. through a period of um, real trial and tribulation. Mm -hmm. And I broke open that weekend and out of me, I birthed a whole series of poems which really began to speak to things that I had been experiencing in my life that I had needed to give voice to and I remember distinctively standing in front of the group and saying do you know what I am a writer 
and I am going to write. And I think that really planted the seed for the practice of journaling because I moved home last year and when I was packing up, um, most pe- some people have problems about maybe too many clothes. My problem was I had too many journals. I had over 100 journals oh my that goodness. I had. Seriously, Chantel. Oh, my gosh. They were... I'm not joking. It was like, oh, my God. I mean, my daughter is 29, so that's 30 years. And I found journals from when I was pregnant with IEDA. So that tells you around Mm -hmm. the kind of really how I rooted journaling as a practice. And what I found was that when I went to my journal, it's almost as if I could be experiencing complexity. I could be experiencing chaos. I could be um, experiencing confusion or doubt. But when I landed in my journal, it's almost something else roots in me that gives me a sense of perspective, that gives me a sense of myself, that roots me back into my strengths, um, my resilience, my creativity. I could write in my journal and I could, I, you know, I could start off complaining and moaning and saying, oh, you know, maybe being even a bit more like a victim back in those early days. Mm-hmm. But seven or eight pages in, suddenly I would literally write myself in a new direction. I would find a, something would appear that would give me an idea or a solution or even a, an, an insight or an aha moment. And I began to see that actually my journal was a steady rock. It was a a place where I could become still, I could become focused, I could gain clarity, I could gain perspective. And I realized that I, I had feelings like feeling calm, peaceful, and even confidence, I noticed that confidence started to emerge through my journals. And I just kept the practice going. Before I knew about any of the research, mm-hmm. before I knew about all of the evidence base that there is now around what we refer to as expressive writing, as therapeutic writing, um, and, and which reflective writing is kind of woven around as a way of really allowing ourselves to be in relationship through the writing self. Um, so, you know, that was really where my path started. And I still journal almost every single day. I feel undone when I don't journal. Uh, you know, maybe for some people it is doing their meditation or having their cup of coffee in the morning. For me, if I do not find a space in my day um, to empty myself onto my journal, I actually feel like something on me has been left undone. Okay. I have like a gazillion questions. You're talking to somebody who has probably started 50 million journals and I get three pages in and, you know, and I've done the five minute journal. That's great. You know? And so what do you say to somebody? And we're going to get to like the whole tree thing too, but I just, I just want to like get the practice of writing down and really understand it. What do you say to somebody like that? That, you know, and then there's two kinds. There's the journaling of emptying yourself onto the pages, which I love that concept but then there's the journaling of like envisioning what you want like and writing as if right like I am completely in my power and I have the confidence that I need rather than why am I feeling 
so much self-doubt in my life, you know? So maybe those are two separate questions. Let's start with the latter first. The latter being like, you know, what are you writing about? And, you know, what's the line between complaining about your life and really acting as if? That's such a great question. Um, and I'm glad that you asked it because I think um, it's I think it's that question that can help people switch into a different kind of engagement with the journal. So here's my take on it. If you were to look into my any of my journals, I want to give you a snapshot of what you would see. You would see black ink, blue ink. You would see red ink, green ink. You would see patterns and dots. You would see pictures and images torn out of magazines that I read and stuck down into my journals or notebooks with print sticks. You would see writing prompts. So even though I talked about emptying myself onto a journal, into my journal, for most people, the idea of a blank page is scary mm-hmm. because if we think about digital distraction and the overload and the overwhelm that most, the most average person feels in any given moment in their, their daily life, the thought of a blank page is scary to people. Mm-hmm. So um, some, of my te- some of my teachers, so I'm training with a therapeutic writing institute that's run by Kathleen Adams, who's the most fantastic thought leader on journal writing and expressive writing from mm-hmm. the United States. She created something called the journal ladder. And what she did was she realized that for some people actually starting at the one end of the the journal ladder, which is just what we call free writing, which is what I was describing, which is really just really going with whatever comes, which was was, was where I, I started as a journal writer, that that, even though that works for some people, it's quite scary. So if you think of uh, Aladdin, you go down the other end of the continuum, where she started was what she called with was like five minute sentence stems or a writing prompt is a it's a prompt or a sentence that offers you an invitation to start writing with a subject, a topic or a theme in mind. So, for example, um, you, you talked about visioning, and as we're going to go on to trees, let me just take a, a metaphor about a tree and let's turn it into a writing prompt or a five-minute stem. So you could start with something like, where in your life do you feel you need to branch out? That is going to give you more of a focus on visioning where you want your life to be, where you might want to be in your work. And of course, once you get started, what most people find that if they can start, they often find a flow and the writing will flow and lead you to where the writing is going to take you. And I I want to emphasize that because often what happens for me is I might start off in my journal writing about one thing And all of a sudden, 15 minutes later, I find myself writing about the most unexpected thing that I thought I would be writing about. Uh Uh-huh. And that's legal? You You don't have to stick to the prompt, I guess. You don't have to stick to the prompt. That's big. The prompt is your springboard. Mm -hmm. 
but you can let go of that prompt within the first line, within the first second, within the first sentence. And that is almost like the miracle cure for most people. Because, um, so when I do writing workshops, this is what happens. We set a prompt. Some people look really quizzical. Some people are like, oh, I don't know what I have to say about it. But nonetheless, they start somewhere. 15 minutes later, I, I do the chimer and I say to everyone, okay, you've got a, a couple of minutes left. I look two minutes later, everybody's head is still down in their journals and their notebooks. Got it. Yeah. They don't want to stop. They found their flow. They found a groove. There's something that's come through the writing. Things emerge that surprise them. That it's unexpected. It's connecting things to things that like, oh my gosh, I worked with a group of um, coaches the other day and we um, set a prompt about uh, uh, writing about a tree and one of the coaches came up to me at the end and he said to me, I have not thought about my dad in such depth and intimacy as I did in the last 20 minutes of writing about the tree and the tree took me to a memory of my dad that brought tears to my eyes. Mm, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Do you know so yeah. you know it's like it's like there's so much and that's where I feel I really that's my message, that's my work. It's like I have found a myriad of creative, succulent interesting engaging ways that we can be in relationship with ourselves on the page through journaling mm -hmm. and writing mm -hmm. well i mean that's pretty interesting that the prompts are really you know they're just that's what they are prompts i guess that's what they are right they're not i think most of us are you know when i see those journals and I mean, there's some great ones out there. Danielle Laporte's Desire Map, and she's got a new, you know, there's just so many. But I'm always... I've got them all. <laughs> I, I, yeah, right? We have them all. I mean, I'm down to like the 15-minute miracle, which is, you know, mm -hmm. crazy new agey, and I love it. But mm -hmm. I'm like doing exactly within the lines and exactly what the topic is. And this idea of like using prompts that and that we don't have to actually answer the question is wonderful and you've written a book for just that purpose now specifically with trees and you used that example which is a wonderful example and this book is very sweet and you know you are making the statement that trees you know obviously there i want to hear a lot more but but the fact that trees call up our ancestry and trees call up our relationships beyond just nature, our relationships, the people that were important to us, I think is very interesting. And it feels so right. So tell us more about why trees and how that can be healing for us. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to talk about that. But Chantal, you said something um, just before you went on to the trees about journaling that I think might be really helpful to just pick up on. Okay. Which is, um, I, had a, I had a period where I moved from writing in lined journals to writing in blank journals, oh, no lines. Oh, yeah. And okay. I cannot tell you the freedom that that gave me. My writing got bigger. I drew more imagery. Mm. It was just fascinating to see because I think there is something about writing often reminds a lot of people of work. If we think about a lot of the jobs that we do, 
writing is a sign of you've got to get that report in. You've got to put these statistics mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So then when mm-hmm. we come to more text for ourselves, it's like, no, I, I can't be asked to do this. This feels like really hard work. So it's really about thinking about ways that you can really entice your muse to come onto the page with you, that you can be creative. It's almost like getting back to that those moments as a child where we could really play with words, we can play with imagery, we can play with different forms and really make it our own. And on my journal writing online course, Paper Therapy, mm-hmm. we introduce... Um, participants to you know a journal entry can be one word Mm -hmm. a journal entry can be one line you can always come back to that one word and add to it you can always come back to that one line and add to it so you know the other day I was in my um I had gone to driven to a really lovely park that I love in London and parked my car and as I was driving to park into the parking space I looked across the road and there were three women they looked of um that they were like either of Chinese heritage or Japanese heritage they were in a distance I couldn't see well enough but they were wearing yellow and pink coats with polka dots and they had lovely and the scene was just so wonderful and I wrote that down in my journal because I never know when I might use something like that Hmm. And then I had this um, experience one day of um, I also write down things that I come across. Mm-hmm. So I wrote down a poem that I'd read and I thought, you know what, this poem may be good at some point for somebody that I'm coaching because it had a particular theme. And I thought I like to have a, a, a sort of collection of poems that I can just kind of pull out a bit like prescriptions out of my mm-hmm. sort of uh, medicine cabinet. So I wrote this poem down in my journal. And then, lo and behold, it must have been about a month later, I was talking to someone. I thought, oh, my God, that poem. I must find that poem and share it with them. So I went home. I leafed through my journal. I found the poem and I read it. And I thought, oh, God, this is really evocative and really powerful. And when I got down to the end of the poem, there was no name next to it. Now, I'm very fastidious about referencing things because... In my, in my book, 49 Ways to Write Yourself Well, there's lots of references. And my publisher were really, they did not let me off the hook with my referencing. Mm-hmm. So now I've got this poem, no reference, no name. So I Google the first two lines of the poem. And I thought I knew it was someone famous. And I thought it's going to come up. Nothing. Google said nothing. I was like, oh, my God. God, who was a poem? Bye. And it was literally, I took a deep breath and I almost had this sort of like, you know, when you have this aha moment, mm-hmm. I thought, oh my God, Jackie, you wrote the poem. Mm. It's your poem. Mm. And I remembered the moment. It was a very emotional, intense moment in time where I just felt like I couldn't articulate what I was feeling so I wrote it as a poem and when I went back to the poem the words were so resonant that I didn't even realize they were my own words Mm. Mm. powerful and I think that many of us have those experiences 
when we allow ourselves mm-hmm. to just be in relationship, to even play with writing. Mm-hmm. Um, Flannery O'Connor said, if you survive childhood, you have plenty to write about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. <sighs> yeah. I'm just sort of like, where's my next journal? <laughs> I've got to get one, a fresh one. No lines. And, you know, even bits of paper, backs of envelopes, you know, we don't have to put it in a notebook. It might be that you get to a point where you're writing on different bits of paper or envelopes mm-hmm. and then you decide, you know what, I want to put it in a, I need a home for these. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, give yourself, I guess what I'm saying, Chantel, and to, you know, to, to the women that are listening to this podcast, is like, give ourselves permission to write on anything. Mm-hmm. You know, be in the moment with it as well. You know, maybe for some women, it's going to be about just breaking out of the rules. You know, I think sometimes even nice journals can be quite intimidating for us because it's almost like we feel we have to bring our polished self to the page. Yeah. Our perfect selves to the page. Yeah. You know, I'm really interested in, you know, we talked earlier about the self that's at the edges. What about the wild self, the parts of us that the natural wildness of who we are? How do we want to articulate that in a way that really reflects how we or how we're, we're, we're sensing ourselves, experiencing ourselves or wanting to experience ourselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how about the trees? Yeah, well, you know, Chantal, I'm just going to declare it now. I love, love, love trees. Um, you know, I, I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't either take a photo of a tree or, you know, posting something on my Instagram about trees. Um, I'm currently writing a memoir that is um, a a memoir through my journey with trees. And I think that they offer us so much. And and here's where we'll start. Let's just think about metaphors connected with trees. So tell me what you think when you hear this. Here's some metaphors that I gathered around trees. You could be thinking about metaphors in terms of stretching out, reaching out, turning over a new leaf being rooted, branching out, blossoming, bearing fruit, standing tall, standing your ground, letting go, weathering a storm, regeneration, regrowth. So if we think about a tree and we think about the metaphors, we think about the seasonalities that trees teach us about, they literally reflect the experiences of our lives. Mm-hmm. So we can really use trees to connect with outer nature, with our inner nature. And when we connect with our inner nature, we're often connecting and finding that way back home to what I call the true nature. And that's what I love about trees. You know, not old, not only are they the world's oldest living organism, we actually have DNA in common with trees. We share the same DNA. When we breathe out carbon dioxide into the air, trees breathe back out oxygen 
They breathe in our carbon dioxide and they breathe back out oxygen. So I remember reading this fiction book, um, I think it was last year or the year before, The Twelve Tribes of Hattie by Anna Mathias. Huh. And in, her, in one of the chapters, I, I literally just stopped in the middle of reading. And she started off the sentence with, she smelled the absence of trees before she saw it. Wow. And I just thought, imagine our landscape without trees. Sure. So I guess what I'm, I'm saying is that there's a lot that we can learn um, about ourselves through writing about trees. Mm-hmm. So when I did the writing with Fabulous Trees, which is 12 um, tree-inspired writing prompts, in a way, this was what the motivation and the inspiration was, was to really offer, you know, a range of different um, writing um, prompts that would help people connect with nature and just think about what we get from nature. It lowers our stress. It's, it's, um, it's related to cardiovascular um, um energy we reduce the incidence of um diabetes we could improve our mental health like why would we not want to spend more time in nature why would we not want to connect with some of the ancient trees some of the notable trees some of the beautiful trees some of the old trees that are around us you know my thing is trees help us when i when i go around my work going from city to city one of the things that helps me be really mindful and be really present is to look out and to see nature and to see the trees around me and to smile when I see a tree that's just looking splendid or looking like it's in its autumn or looking it's like it's in its older age. It helps me get really present, but it can also help us get present on the page. Yeah, and this idea of trees like the connection between humanity and trees, yeah. you know, the realization that there's, there is wisdom there. And like you said, with your example, that different trees can trigger memories um, yeah. that are significant and, and yeah. relationships that are significant. Because I really resonate with that. Like it's it, the nature, of course, that's very obvious. It's, na- it's nature. We're out in nature. There's a lot of benefits. There's the oxygen. There's, but the fact that there's life force that, you know, we forget that. It's like a tree. Oh, a tree doesn't feel pain. A tree doesn't, you know, but there's, it's, there's more channeling in the tree than we realize. Oh, absolutely. So let I'll share a story about one. So I've got I've got different trees around the city of London that are meaningful to me, and our um, one particular tree was located in a park which was um, close to where I I lived for seventeen years. What happened was I went through a breakup. And every day I would run from my home to my local park and then run all the way around the park. And then I would head up to this tree and literally hug the tree, sit with the tree, stand with the tree, talk with the tree, write with the tree. And I did this for almost six months. 
Mm-hmm. And it was like that tree became my wisest counsel. Even now when I speak, and, and I actually did eventually name the tree, I think that if, I, if we're going to get a bit, if we talk about maybe the species of the tree, mm-hmm. it's, an, it's what we call a home oak tree. So it's quite a large tree. I would, rec- I would reckon that the tree is about 60 to 70 years old. It's not the oldest tree in the park, but it is a spectacular tree. Mm-hmm. You could literally fit a hundred people under the branches and the wingspan of this tree's canopy and nobody would get wet. It's also an evergreen, so it never loses its leaves. Its trunk is thick. So when we talk about, you know, trees give off certain energy, I was in a very porous time in my life. It was in 2000. And I needed to really resource myself to bring my energy back up every time I stood near that tree. It was like that tree channeled its strength, its wisdom. And the oak tree is known for its strength. It's known for its wisdom. It's the native tree to the UK. And it has a phenomenal history and presence in the, in the, in the British Islands um, um, folklore and mythology mm-hmm. do you know what I mean so it's like I mm-hmm. literally sanctuary became my cathedral my altar my sacred space in the same way that some people will go to church some people would pray that was where I did my prayers mm-hmm. and I cannot tell you the energy that I feel in my body just even thinking about that tree let alone being in that tree's presence And I think many of us have those kinds of connections. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I think it's, you know, sometimes there'll be a tree from childhood, there'll be a tree from a particular period in your life. And even if you don't get to be physically near that tree, sometimes writing about a moment in nature can really connect you back to those feelings of what. Um, of how you felt when you were close to or nearby that tree. And we can use those in so many different ways. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, when I got your book, I started, you know, thinking about that. Like, what were the significant trees in my life and how am I relating to them? And there was this one tree in the backyard of my house that I used to, it was yep. a pine tree. It wasn't like anything like extra beautiful, but I would climb this tree and look out and just, you know, it was like my little secret spot. And the feeling I remember is just being so intimate with myself, oh, you know, I could yeah. really just, I don't know. It was sort of like I was alone with myself and yeah. there was no like active self-compassion meaning like I wasn't trying to overcome any anything but now when I want to bring in self-compassion I think that that's sort of like a vision that I can go back to and say oh remember when I was so close to myself and completely alone and I had the view of the whole neighborhood and no one knew where I was and so it's like a, it's like a little visual and a, and a very visceral memory that I can draw upon to get the juice and the nectar from that moment of intimacy 
that I've been struggling with, honestly. Like, you know, how do you develop self-compassion? How do you get back to that moment of intimacy? And, you know, so this was very helpful, very helpful. Well, do you know, Chantel, as you, as you expressed and shared your story with the plane tree, I felt my heart open to the, the, the connection that you made to that child self, to your compassion and how you were able to reconnect to that as an adult. It was just very beautiful and very moving. And I would really invite you to think about writing that and capturing that as if it were you writing it in a picture frame. So you could literally draw a box on the page and write that memory in there and store it so that you could have it as a written picture frame. And that's the way we play with memories like that, because then you can go back and access that when you need it in the present moment. Really lovely. Oh, that's a great idea. Okay. Well, obviously, we could spend hours on this. Um, and I'm just fascinated by, you know, one, the, the work of writing and how much we can heal and process a lot of, especially in today's, you know, environment, there's so much hostility yeah. and chaos and anxiety. And two, just this integration of trees and writing, which is not something anybody has ever done. And it feels very focused and um, yet not narrow, right? Mm -hmm. And it has, you know, touched me deeply. And uh, I just, I applaud you for, for really um, putting your passions together and making sense of the world through this lens. Oh, thank you. And, and I, and I, in, in return, I want to applaud the trees for allowing me to access their wisdom and to to really allow that to channel through me and to share it so openly with so many uh, so many people because every time like you and I are having this conversation about trees it just takes us into such deeper connection with each other and intimacy with each other and with ourselves do you know, it's like, it's like you and I could have a conversation, but, you know, I just feel like we're able to drop down to something deeper in this moment with each other. And I'm hoping that other people that are listening in are able to do that as well. Mm, yeah. I'm sure they you know? are. I'm sure they are. It's interesting. I was just thinking like, somehow the trees have reached out to you. Did you get a message from a psychic that said the trees want to use you to get their message out into the world? I mean, I know that sounds like completely crazy, but I do feel like that maybe as we evolve as species, meaning not just the human consciousness evolving, but evolving, but all life force, the consciousness of all life force as it evolves, I wonder if there's going to be more communication, more sophisticated communication between, you know, of course, not just animals and humans, but plants and trees. And I know that some people's work is very much steeped in this. And I think, you know, I'm finally just feeling like there might be something there. Well, the Native Americans used to call the trees the standing people and they connected them, they saw them as their ancestors. 
And if you think about the fact that, you know, we've got trees, that we've got trees, we've got some um, yew trees in London that are reputed to be 2,000 to 3,000 years old. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Like every continent, every country has got ancient trees. Uh-huh. When we had the great storm in the UK in 1987, we lost, I think it was like 3 million trees. And some of our notable um ancient trees went but I'm, I'm going to finish off I know that we're probably um, going to be having to wrap up now but I, yeah. just, I just think I just realized that I I haven't told you how the trees called me yes and I, so um, I'm going to tell I'm going to be really brief with it so one one summer years ago I sat under a tree with a friend having lunch and when we got up I noticed a plaque by the side of the tree so I looked at it and I thought, oh, God, this says that this is an elder tree. And it said that people um, in the Middle Ages, women in the Middle Ages would escape persecution by turning into um, elder trees. And I thought mm-hmm. it was quite, you know, I just was fascinated by that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I wrote it down, took that note home. And it was around a time when I was, uh, I was in my 30s and I was thinking about changing my name. My name, obviously, Jackie mm-hmm. and Holder. And I was thinking, oh, let me, I was, a spiritual teacher said to me, oh, you, you know, your name Holder means you hold on to things. Mm-hmm. I took that to heart. I thought I should change my name. Anyway, fast forward mm-hmm. about two, three years. I'm sitting in my local library. And um, during that, that, that two-year period, I'd become really interested in trees. And I'd started buying books about trees and reading around the mythology and the folklore. Anyway, I'm in my local library. I'm finishing off my first book. I used to go to the local library and sit in the same place every day. Mm-hmm. When I went there that day, somebody else was sitting in my seat. So I went and sat in this other seat. I was taking a break. And when I looked behind me, there was a series of books on the shelf. I took one down and I was holding a book of names. And it said, this is a book that gives you the meaning of names. So I started leafing through for the name Jackie, realized that it wasn't Christian names or first names. It was a book of surnames. So I thought, oh, let me look up the name holder. It's probably not going to be in there. Who's going to write about the meaning of the name holder? Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, the name holder was there. And when I read it, I was shocked because what it said was that the name holder is a name given to people who live near elder trees. Oh, my. Wonderful. Amazing. So that's where, yeah, and that's where I really... I, I really felt that the elder tree really set me off on my journey of getting to know, love and live mm-hmm. and write with the trees. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Um, this is not the last that Emerging Women will be hearing from you. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's really inspired me. I'll let you know how my writing practice goes as yeah, of tomorrow morning. Please. And also, you know, you've got your picture frame, your yes, plain tree, I've got, I've got your connection with trees. Yep. We, you know, we can all, we can all create our own ways of writing our lives. Well, I love how you said the back of an envelope. That's, that's kind of where, where I might have been. yeah thank you for that that's legit that's welcome in our club yeah good 
It's been a joy speaking to you, um, Chantelle. Really, really has been. Thank you so much for the invitation and the juicy conversation that we've had today. Yes, more to come. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you.